You know, I thought that um, standing up here to preach after Artie Kendall preached was, was difficult. But let me tell you, that was power, man. And I felt like I was, I was in the throne room. I don't know about you, but that was a power moment, man. And so thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for letting your glory fall, Lord. These little glimpses of glory come at moments. And it just excites me because if we can experience even the tiniest bit of glory and think, man, that's just like nothing I've ever experienced before in my life. Can you imagine what it will be like one day in eternity when we have glory after glory after glory? Where everything fades into significance. When our lives, our desires, our hearts, our motives, our, our hearts have been purified by the presence of God. And we're just standing in His presence. Man, how long for that day, Lord? But there's work to be done. Morning to everybody. If you are new to Hope Rock Church, I want to specifically welcome you. I see a few new faces. It's good to have you here with us today. We particularly enjoy hanging out with you, and we're not as weird as you may think we are. Although, having said that, by the end of this preach, you might have made up your mind, and that's okay, but I would encourage you to stick around for a cup of coffee before you run off, get to know somebody, say hello. Uh, I promise you we don't bite. We, we really love having everybody that's with us in this place. I want to just quickly uh, just talk to you about the new venue. Uh, we are moving to a new venue, so if you're new, um, the good news is we're moving to Lubbock, Texas. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We, our new venue is literally uh, across the parking lot. I mean, you can just walk across there under this little awning here on the side, and you'll get to our new venue. It's in the corner. And I just wanted to tell you where we're at. See, I was adamant that last week we were going to move into our new venue. I was adamant that when Artie came, God would let the favor shine and that we would be in our new venue. It turned out Artie doesn't have that favor anymore. I'm just kidding. It's not Artie's fault. Um, but then after last week, I was adamant that this week was going to be the week. I was like, that's it, Lord. This Sunday we're going to be in the venue. And here we are. So I'm here again. And I'm adamant that next week Sunday we'll be in the venue too. But by now you've picked up a pattern. Don't really believe what I'm saying because clearly uh, God God doesn't respond to how adamant I am. Uh, hey, no, 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 no. Let's not get all excited because I think you've been speaking to Charlie for far too long. If you ask Charlie, he'll tell you we'll be in there Christmas next year. But where we are at with the venue is it's done. I mean, the venue is actually done. The, everything is installed. The sound has been installed. The, this week, the team spent putting up the screens and the audio visual. Everything that we need for the fulfilling operation of a business, of, of the business, of the church is there. Uh, and I want to let you know that it's amazing. And in fact, after this morning, we'll open up the venue. Charlie will open up if you want to go and walk through it and have a look if you haven't seen it yet. All that we're waiting for at this point is a ramp, a ramp, uh, a skateboard ramp for the kids. I'm just joking. <laughs> it's a, a ramp that's got to go at the back door to connect the back door to basically the asphalt because what is there isn't good enough. And so the moment that ramp comes and is installed... Uh, we will be able to apply for our certificate of occupancy. And I'm hoping that, I really am hoping, and please be praying with me, that by some miracle that happens this week because we really need it to happen now because uh, we want to be in there. The kids' rooms are getting full. This entire space is going to become a space for the youth, and it's going to be exciting. So please pray with us this week. Pray for God's favor and pray that that ramp would arrive and it would be easily installed and that we would have nice inspectors that come and inspect us, you know, because inspectors are another story all in and of themselves. Right, Mike? You know what I mean, bro? Anyway. Okay. So I just want to reflect on last weekend before I get into this morning's uh, topic. I know we all came to, to listen to and, and read from the book of Revelation. We'll get there. Uh, but before we get there, I just want to reflect on our responding to God weekend. I want to thank everybody 
there was a part of putting it together. Because believe me, when I say this, those events don't just happen. I know sometimes we arrive and we're like, wow, this thing just put together. It doesn't happen like that. A lot of people spend a lot of time, effort, and energy making that happen. And I want to thank everyone that was involved, the video team, the band, uh, Ashley, everybody that was in organizing hospitality, the snacks. I mean, from start to finish, it was organized really well. And I just want to thank you guys for doing it. I know that I was super blessed by this weekend uh, from John Thomas's teaching on Friday and Saturday right the way through to Artie Kendall's preach on Sunday. I was definitely blessed. But it got me thinking as I was sort of reflecting on what Artie said, and I just want to maybe just spend a few minutes, I'm going to time it just on this. As I was reflecting on Artie's message from Sunday, and he illustrated the fact of yesterday's, today's, and tomorrow's men or women, and what we need to be to be each one of those, I sort of realized that I definitely don't want to be yesterday's man. Um, I don't think anybody wants to be yesterday's man or woman, to be quite honest. And I also believe that none of us in this room collectively want to be yesterday's church. You know, and what I mean by that is we don't want to be a church that has become so complacent in what we do that we think we know what we're doing, right? You know, this illustration of King Saul having the glory of God anoint him and become king of Israel and all of a sudden making it about himself and about what he was able to do and what he was able to achieve and all of a sudden doing things where he didn't even involve God anymore. I don't think any one of us want to be that. I want us to be, and I'm sure this goes for all of us, and if you don't agree with this, you're more than welcome to come talk to me at the end, but I believe we need to be the kind of people and church who continuously wait on God, who wait on God for His direction, for His leading, that we follow Him in all that we do, that we don't trust in our own understanding, nor lean on the things that we thought we knew how to do well, but that we say, Lord, You take us where You want us to go. I want us to be the kind of people that in everything we do, Ensure that the glory doesn't go to man or systems or products or organization or venues, as nice as they may be, but goes to one person and one person only, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, I say all of this to you this morning just on the understanding that this year we've been in a year of transition, a year of changes. You know, it started with this great prophetic picture that God gave to this church, I believe, and it has been confirmed by many other people. And it's important that these words get confirmed because as John said on Saturday, when we get a directional word or a word of revelation, we need other people's voices to come alongside us and say, you are hearing from God. Because believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe, but sometimes I can get it wrong. I know you guys are stunned. You're like, What? I know it happens. It's happened once in my life that I can remember. I'm just kidding. It happens all the time. If you ask my wife, she'll let you really know how much I've got it wrong. But this word was simply put this. We are going where we've never been before. That's it. Okay. And I know that's like, okay, well, great. We're going where we've never been before. What does that mean? What does it look like? I want to say this. It doesn't necessarily mean that we're changing directions doesn't necessarily mean that if we're going straight, now we're going left. It doesn't mean that we're going to do a 180. What it does mean is that God is taking us into more of his inheritance for us. In other words, he's given us more land to possess. The context of that passage of scripture in Joshua chapter 3 is the nation of Israel walking into their inheritance. They were going to take ground for the king and the kingdom. The kingdom of God through the nation of Israel was being restored back to this earth. And so the ground that we're taking is the enemy's ground that we are bringing back to the kingdom. And let me tell you, when you take anything from anyone, they don't like it. And so opposition comes and the devil comes and he starts to bring pressure. I don't know if anyone here this year can relate with what I'm saying, but I have felt pressure this year that I haven't felt before. And not all of it is just the enemy. Some of it is my own insecurity. Some of it's me doubting myself. Some of it is because of mistakes I've made or things that I've done. But the fact is the enemy is unhappy because we are taking ground from him. 
And that encourages me, friends, because I tell you what, going where we've never gone before, crossing land we've never crossed before, tells me in no uncertain terms that we cannot be yesterday's church because yesterday's church has already been where they've gone. Today's church is currently where they're at. Tomorrow's church is a church that says we don't necessarily know what it looks like tomorrow, but what we do know is who's leading the charge. And so I'm excited about that, and I want us to be encouraged. I want us to be excited because I can't tell you what it will look like tomorrow, and I cannot give you the details on how it will work out. But what I do know is just like the nation of Israel who were commanded by God to cross the Jordan knew that they were going to Canaan, we know where we are going. We're going to this, to know Christ and to make him known. That's the vision. The vision will never, ever come to completion. It will be something we do from this day till the day that we die. But that's where we're going. Our job as this church is to represent the king and the kingdom in the city of Lakeway, in the state of Texas, in the nations of the world. Whether that's through church campuses, church plants, whether that's through other venues, this venue, only these venues. I don't know the details. What I do know is I want to do that. And as long as we know where we're going, and that's to Jesus and honoring him, the steps in between are preparation and opportunities for us to learn how to fight the giants we're going to face. And maybe we've slayed some giants this year, but maybe there's more to come. I don't know. What I do know is when God said to the nation of Israel, I want you to go to Jericho, and this is how you're going to conquer it. You're going to walk around in circles and blow a trumpet, and everything's going to work out. They must have thought, this guy, Joshua, has lost his mind. And maybe sometimes you look at me and say, Marco's lost his mind. The elders have lost their mind. The church has lost its mind. But the things of God are the things of man. His ways are higher than ours. And I know, friends, that we are moving in his will. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 10. Such a powerful passage of the scripture that I felt so both encouraged and convicted by this, this week. It says this, For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. We want to go back to Egypt all the time because we know what Egypt looked like. It's comfortable there. But you know what's interesting here? The illustration that is used here by Moses to prepare the nation for the inheritance is in Israel it was easy to plant. The Nile flooded twice a year. You could set your clock to it. Don't worry. You put your seeds in the ground. The water was going to come. But the land that you are going into over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. Not everything's straight. Not everything's on the flat road. Sometimes you're going to have to climb. But guess what? At the top of the hill, there's another valley. And we're going to go into those valley seasons and those mountaintops, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. It's a season of faith. The nation of Israel, in order to stick close to God, had to learn one very important lesson. Not the way Pharaoh did things, not the way the Nile watered our plants, but we believe that the God who has promised us all the things that has promised us will lead us to where he wants us to go, and he'll provide for us. He will dictate what we do. He will lead us and guide us. He will give us the enemies that we need to conquer. Being tomorrow's church means that we settle the settle that the place that we're going is going to be different from the place that we're in or have come from. It means we learn to have grace for one another. It means that we learn to love one another through the seasons that we'll go through. It means that we understand it will require not only different thinking and a willingness to change and adapt, but most importantly, and hear me when I say this, it will require single-minded devotion to keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's the only way we go where God's taking us.
Now we can preach in Revelation. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, I want to encourage you with that because that's what the Lord's been working in my heart this week. And I haven't been up here for a while, so I thought it's always good for me to take the opportunity to share what's on my heart so that everyone knows. Um, we are in the book of Revelation. Surprised if you're a visitor, you're like, oh gosh, the Revelation, what's going to happen today? Uh, in truth, I'm not really sure how this is all going to go because as of this morning, I felt like the Lord was still adding stuff to what he wanted me to say. But we started this series at the beginning of the year, and I'm going to spend a few minutes just recapping. And uh, please humor me if you are from Hope Rock Church. I know you're like, man, we've been through all this, but we have to understand that it's important to know where we've come from in order to know where we're going. The book of Revelation is interconnected. It speaks to every single thing that happens, links into the next thing, and the visions that we see sometimes refer back to visions in the past. But the first thing I do want to say, in understanding the book of Revelation, we have to remember some critical things about this book. More than any prophetic word that you have been given or prophetic word that is spoken over you as a corporate entity, maybe us as a church or whatever the case is, this revelation found in the book of Revelation is the one revelation that every single one of us can trust. And I say that to you because of the way the book starts. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ is our North Star, our center point, the only one that we're aiming for, we can trust that this revelation is true. And even though this book was written to people that lived thousands of years ago, the seven churches in modern-day Turkey, that day Asia Minor, this book has transcended time, and it still continues to transcend time. It is speaking to us today as God's church. This book will help us to understand that while sometimes we look around us and we think the world is out of control, if everything's gone mad, where's God in the midst of all of this? God is actually there. And believe me when I say this, that everything is actually well under control. And it's, thank goodness it's not our control. Thank goodness it's not the government's control. Thank goodness it's not some type of organization's control. It is under the control of God. We are blessed when we read this book. There's a blessing attached to the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear. Remember, that's important. Those who hear. We've got to hear what God is saying to us. And the ones who keep what is written in it for the time is near. And make no mistake, this book deals with hard realities. It deals with truths that sometimes we don't want to read or have to face. But the fact of the matter is the message for us as the church is not a message of fear. It's not a message of doom. It's not a message of gloom. It's a message of hope. It's a message to remind a suffering church that's living amidst the world that guess what? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And because of that, he's the conquering king. And because he's conquering, Christ in me, Colossians chapter 1 tells me that I am conquering too in Christ. So no matter what the world throws at me, no matter how bad things get or how dark things may seem, we are more than conquerors because of he who lives in us. Not because of any political party, not because of any outcome of an election, not because of anything anyone in this world tells you, not because of any economic outlook, not because of any wars in the world, but because Jesus Christ is on the throne. And by virtue of that, as we follow Christ, he will lead us into all the areas that he wants us to go. There were seven churches, the book started with the seven churches that we spoke about in section one. There's eight major sections, I believe, in the book of Revelation. First section dealt with seven churches scattered around Asia Minor. It's almost as if God was bringing us right down to the micro level and he was looking at the church. That little dot on the stage, you can't see it, but he's focusing in on the church. He says, John, I want you to write seven letters to these seven churches. And through those churches, we learn so many things. The one thing we should never do is read the letters to the seven churches and say, man, that church was messed up. 
Because guess what? Those seven churches are represented right here. Pieces of them exist in all of us. Whether it's the self-righteousness and religiosity found in the church of Ephesus, who Jesus would ultimately say to them, if you do not go back to your first love, I will remove your lampstand right the way through to the faithful church in Philadelphia who was faithful with little. And God says to them, I will give you an open door that no man can shut. Whether it's Revelations, Philadelphia, Thyatira, Laodicea, who was the lukewarm church, we find them in us. And God is speaking to his church saying, take the commendations, take the exhortations, take those things that those churches were encouraged for and do more of that. And then all the stuff that I didn't like, get rid of it. And we all need to do that. We all need to hold each other accountable. Then we go into the next section of Revelation, the seven seals. God's holding the scroll in this heavenly vision. It's like John now all of, a, all of a sudden gets expanded outside of the micro and he starts to get a bigger picture of God's plan unfolding for the earth. That's what the scroll represented. Remember, the scroll is the plan of God, the unfolding of history that was set up before time. God did not get surprised with the fact that he needed to send Jesus. Jesus was in, in God's heart long before he was God. He is God. And so when Adam came, he knew that one day there would be a perfect Adam, who was Jesus Christ. And we start to get a sense of the magnificence of God's plan. John sees this heavenly vision, this throne. It's not vacant. It wasn't absent. It didn't say, be back later. I'm not sure what's going on down there. When things settle down, I'll come back. No, God was on the throne. The ancient of days, he's seated in his throne, in the center of the universe, ruling and reigning in power. Surrounded by the elders, the seraphim, the angels, the host of heaven, multitudes singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the God that we serve. And he is right there on that throne. This morning, I felt like I was even in, a little bit in the throne room. And that was scary. I felt like I was a tiny dot on the floor. I can't explain it. But I was like, if I can just sink into the floor even more, Lord, that'll be okay. Just hide me away from your presence. Isaiah 6, woe is me, Lord, when we encounter the living God. Sometimes we just come into church so flippantly. Woe is me, Lord. Jesus comes in this vision. And he's riding on the clouds in Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel says this, Then I saw one like the Son of Man. And he was presented to the Ancient of Days. And to him was given a kingdom and a dominion and power and reign. And so the scroll that contains God's plans and purposes for his world to unfold, who nobody could open, all of a sudden now can be opened. Jesus has the authority to bring the plans of God to fruition. And he does that through the seven seals. We see these glimpses of what's to come. First four seals, nobody liked them. Four horsemen of the apocalypse, right? Seal one, the white horse riding out with Jesus on his back bringing the gospel message to the world. And this is my interpretation. You may have other interpretations, but I get to teach this morning, and so you're going to hear my interpretation. Please don't fight with me or throw stones. He's riding out with the gospel in power. You know what follows the gospel message? The red horse of persecution. The church is going to be persecuted in the last days. Why? Because whenever we preach the gospel, we are persecuted for his name. What a privilege to be persecuted for the name of Christ. The black horse reminded us, seal number three, that it wasn't just physical persecution or martyrdom, but there's a reality to living in this broken world that the church is going to have to face. Sometimes we will suffer lack. Sometimes we will deal with financial consequences because of our faith. Sometimes we'll be locked out of systems of this world, but that's okay. The white horse represented pestilence, famine, disease. 
how these things would come to the earth. And it wouldn't be just the church that suffers, but the entirety of the earth. In fact, in that text, it says one-fourth of the earth would be affected by this. We've just come out of a season of COVID-19. I don't need to talk about pestilence to us. We know pestilence. But let me tell you, there was pestilences before, and there will be pestilences again. Seal 5, this beautiful picture of the blood of the martyrs crying out from the foot of the altar of incense to God. That when mingled with the blood of atonement, Jesus Christ rises up to God and they say, Lord, how long will it take for you to be vindicated? How long, Lord, before you will wrap eternity up? And God says, it's not time. But he has a white robe. Rest with me. Have peace. And in a sense, God is saying that to us as his church today. Have peace in the midst of a storm. The disciples in the boat with Jesus, right? Moving across the lake of Gethsemane, the storm rises. What does Jesus say? Where is your faith? We are a people that are not called to look at the natural circumstances that are going around us, the wars that are waging, the storms that are happening. They will affect us. They will impact us. But we are a people to have peace, knowing that God has got us. The sixth horse dealt with the end of the world. Not necessarily in a day, but showing us how this world is going to come to an end and how the world will fear God one day. How everybody will be fearful on that day when God returns. Let me tell you, this will be a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31. People will be in fear when God returns, but it will be too late. But we get to be celebrating when he returns. That's the message. The message is the end of the world is not fearful for believers. Believe me, when Jesus comes back, we will be celebrating. It doesn't mean we celebrate now and say, yeah, it's fine, Lord, we're done. We've got to you know, get to heaven free pass. We've done this thing now, and I'm going to go out there and just ignore what you told me to do in the Great Commission. It means that we want to bring as many people with us into the new heaven and the new earth. Seal 7, the final seal, which was really just one verse, and then there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes. It was not a silence as a result of peace. It was the judgment seat of Christ, I believe, where God was judging the living and the dead. Those who will make it into heaven and those who will be cast in eternal fire. Reality. There is a judgment coming. But again, we were sealed with the names of our God written on us. We are God's property. The angels in the four corners of the earth were not released until God's people had been sealed. We have received the sealed, promised Holy Spirit, friends. And that brings us to the seven trumpets. I'm sorry if I'm a bit heavy this morning. Now, I do want to say something again before all the theologians in the room stand up. <laughs> I'm not a theologian, okay? I was a drug addict. The only theology I studied was what God showed me in his scriptures. I don't have a degree from any university. What I do have is a passion for God's word and a passion to learn more about him. And so the way I'm inter interpreting the seven trumpets is my interpretation. Not one that I've developed myself, one that I find resonates with me and that I can stand on. You might have different ways of interpreting the book of Revelation. They're all wrong. I'm just joking. <laughs> one day we will know what, how this book should have been or could have been interpreted. I'm giving you my best interpretation of what I believe is happening. And I'm saying that to you now at this point. is because as we move on to the seven trumpets, sometimes we think, oh, well, this is another set of visions. This is all different now. Now we enter a new phase. There's judgment day, but now there's another judgment day coming. I believe that the book of Revelation should be read spirally. 
Not historically, like it was only for the church then, nor futurely, it's for someday in the future, nor sequentially, where things happen in the book based on certain predetermined times. I don't necessarily believe that. What I believe is the book of Revelation is one story. It's the scroll. It's the unfolding of God's plan for all of eternity. And what we're doing is we're looking at that plan from different perspectives as we go around these spirals. And so the seven seals spoke of an event that was going to happen. The seven trumpets are going to deal with that same event, except we're looking at it from a different perspective. That's the view that I'm taking this morning. And we can be friends if we disagree on this. There are open-handed issues in the kingdom that we turn into dogmatic issues and issues of, no, we can't walk together. Unless you're a premillennial dispensationist, I cannot serve in this church. Man, let me tell you, I don't believe that that's God's desire. I think we can have debates and have fun and, and argue about this stuff. And Mark and I argue about it all the time. And Mark's an elder in the church. But we stand on our love for Christ together. You know, it's important you know where I'm coming from. Turn with me your Bibles to Revelations chapter 8 verse 2. I'm going to pray for us. Man, it took me a long time to get to prayer today. Holy Father, thank you, Lord, for letting your glory fall, even in small part this morning. And even if it was just me who experienced it, Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that you are in control, that you are above us, you are beyond us, you are far higher and greater than we could ever imagine, Lord, and that we won't get all of these things right as we read your book. But I pray that this morning the spirit of wisdom and revelation would be manifest in our hearts, that you would speak to us through revelation knowledge, that you would bring peace to us, Lord, and that you would give us a hope, Lord, a hope that cannot be shaken because the foundation of our hope is Jesus Christ. And I pray that your word would be spoken, not my word, not my opinions, not my agenda, but your word in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Verse 2 starts, Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. I'm going to just read and unpack as I go. John is still in heaven at this point. He was on earth, writing letters to seven churches. The, angel was giving him, the angels of the churches were receiving these letters. Now John got taken into heaven in the last section. He hasn't left heaven. He's still seeing this vision, not from earth's perspective, not from his perspective. He's seeing it all from God's perspective. And it brings us to our first points. Even in God's anger, God is merciful. What do I mean by that? And how do we get this from this opening statement? Well, what we notice is the angels were given seven trumpets. They weren't given seven battle axes, seven swords, or seven AR-15s. They were given seven trumpets. Trumpets were used for one of two things. First, they were used to call an army into battle. Incidentally, that's the way Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, he will come at the cry of a trumpet, and he's coming back for battle. But we're not there yet. And so these angels are given seven trumpets. What do these trumpets signify? They signify warning. Trumpets were used to raise an alarm. There's fire in the northwest quadrant. Hurry up, get out of your house, do whatever you need to do. I never said I was a trumpet player. And if you are a trumpet player, please don't take any offense. We love trumpets. We don't have any trumpets, but trumpets are great. Trumpets were used to raise an alarm. They were used to warn people. So they were used to say something's wrong. Wake up. And God is warning his world. He's saying, wake up. And I want to tell you, friends, he's warning his church too. It's not just the world that he's warning. He's warning his church. Ezekiel chapter 33 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me. 
I don't have it all there because I just felt I needed to read more this morning. Son of man, speaking of Ezekiel as being the nation of Israel's watchman, speak to your people and say to him, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and he takes him away, his blood will be upon his head. And if you go forward to verse 5, he says this. He says, however, but if he had taken warning, he would save his life. The seven seals largely and mostly were focused on the church, the suffering church, what the church is going to go through in the end times, how we are going to be affected by God's judgment in terms of the world that we live in, but it's not directed to us. We can take peace in that. I believe this is a passage and this section is about warning both the church and the world, the church that's fallen asleep to wake up, the church that's allowed the counterfeit Holy Spirit to manifest in their meetings to wake up, the church that's taken their eyes of God to wake up, the church that has become about themselves to wake up. But he's warning the world too. He's saying to everybody in this world who chooses not to follow Jesus, he's saying, wake up. Verse 3 continues, and another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. This is Old Testament symbolism. And what it's telling us is that our cries, our pain, our suffering will be heard. If you look at that picture of the tabernacle, that's sort of what we see represented. And it was the best representation that people could create for what the throne room of God would look like. We've seen in that vision, there's a symbolism attached to what we see in the throne room versus what we see in the tabernacle versus what we see in the temple. You can go to the next slide, Micah. Right outside the door or the veil to the Holy of Holies was a four-posted altar called the Altar of Incense. That altar was used for two things. One, incense would be offered to it daily, but at, at, at a certain point every year on the Day of Atonement, the priest would come in and he would bring the blood of atonement and he would put it onto the four corners. The priests in those days had two functions. One, walk into the tabernacle every day and make sure that the menorah, the seven-branched the seven branched lampstand is burning bright. Why? Because no longer is this world in darkness. It has been invaded with light. Why? Because Jesus has come. He is the light of the world. Every time believers are referred to in the text, we are salt and light. The menorah is burning every day. Why? Because we carry Christ in us, the hope of glory. But the priest then would go to the altar and he would offer this incense to the Lord. And it was always representative of the prayers of God's people. But there's something interesting that happens here in this text. You see, the prayers of God's people cannot make it to God on their own. Your prayers will never reach the holiness of God on your own. But this text says this. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints. The intercession of Jesus Christ who stands before God the Father and intercedes on our behalf is added to our prayers and together they are sanctified. They come before God. No matter what you are going through, no matter how hard your life may be, may be right now, no matter how much you feel dishonored or uh, unworthy or maybe you're going through some real physical challenges in your life this morning, understand that your prayers will rise to God because the intercession of Jesus Christ is mingled with it. 
Now you might be thinking, but in the context of this passage, what are these people praying about? What is this that the angels bring in before God? Once Jesus' intercession has been mingled with it and our prayers have come together, what is it that's actually rising before God? Well, we have to understand the context. And if we remember the blood of the martyrs in seal number five in the previous section that we read, the blood of the martyrs was crying out to God the Father, again, passing through the altar of incense, through the atoning blood of Christ to God the Father. The prayers that have risen to God are like the prayers of the nation of Israel as they were living in captivity. Oh Lord, redeem us, save us, set us free. Maybe you've looked at the world and thought, how can there be all this injustice? How is it that millions of babies are slaughtered every day? How is it that people get treated the way they do? Why do good things happen to bad people? We've all asked the question. Those cries of our hearts as God's children have risen up to God. And it's been happening for thousands of years. That's one long prayer meeting, let me tell you. Verse 5, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. You see, no matter how long we think God is not acting, believe me, there will come a day and it has been happening where God has acted. It's interesting, this notion of fire. He takes fire from heaven, which represents judgment, the purifying power of God, and he casts it to earth. So often we think that the world's in the state it's in because we've allowed it to happen. Let me tell you, judgment comes from above to below, not the other way around. We don't bring judgment on ourselves. God brings judgment. And I know that might offend some theology, but let me tell you, that's the way it is. He is a holy God who will stand for no iniquity, and when the prayers of his saints rise up to him, he will respond. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Remember what happened when God showed up on Mount Sinai? It says there were peals of thunder, rumblings, and an earthquake, lightning. The presence of God is behind this judgment. This is not the angel dishing out judgment. This is God's presence saying, I will stand for it no longer. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. God is acting. But he is giving the angels the opportunity to warn us. God is acting. Will you listen? God's warnings come through judgment. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. When things are going great, when we're enjoying life, God's voice is very silent. He says he speaks to us in our consciences. In other words, when we sin, all of a sudden God becomes a little bit more real. Because either we are convicted by the Holy Spirit or the enemy comes and he condemns you. But he says something interesting. He says, but he shouts at us in our pain. It is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf and sleeping world. Now you might be thinking, man, that sounds harsh. What kind of God is this that we serve? Why would God do this to his people? Why would he create earth only to destroy earth? Well, I want to tell you that if there was another way, God has tried all of it. Started with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? In community with God, walking with him every day in the cool of the night, as one would relate to each other. What did they do? They rebelled. So then God sent Noah, chapter 6 of Genesis, fix a whole bunch of evil that was happening in the world then. And let me tell you, the Bible says that these are the days of Noah. We're at that same level of depravity in the world today. 
God sends Noah and he warns them. Hey guys, God is not happy. He's bringing judgment. What did they do? They didn't get into the ark, which represented Jesus Christ. It's the forerunner to Christ. They chose to carry on in their sin. And so guess what happens? Judgment comes. After Noah, it didn't end there. He sent his prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Ezekiel, Hosea, to warn the nation of Israel, which is a representation of the church. Turn away from what you're doing. It's a representation of the world. Stop doing what you're doing. God is unhappy. What did they do? They killed the prophets. And so then God sent his son, thinking that that will be okay. Well, not that he was thinking that. He knew what would happen. But one would think, okay, well, then it's fine. His son is here now. He's going to redeem us all. The light of God's glory has shone upon us. Arise, sleeping people. The glory of God is upon us. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come to this earth. And we think we're just going to accept it. We'll move on. The Messiah has arrived. Things will be better now. Instead of believing him, they rejected him. And then they killed him. God didn't end there. He sent his church. We are the last day message, friends. Now, whether the last day is today or 10,000 years from now, I don't know. But we are the vehicle to continuously take this message to the world. God hasn't stopped trying to reach people. God hasn't asked us to just leave them where they are, let them die. No, he's given us a mission. He's given us a mandate. He said, go and reach the world. Go tell them what's coming. Warn them about things to come. And so it's not judgment for judgment's sake. It's a judgment to bring this world that has gone to sleep. And I would dare say some of our hearts sometimes that fall asleep to wake up again. And I'm not speaking about being saved or not being saved. But there is a time of effectiveness right now, friends, that we need to be awake to be able to walk into. And so whatever has lulled us to sleep in this modern age of comfort and convenience and whatever it is, we need to shake those things off us, get back on our horse, and like Elijah, go out there and preach God's gospel. Whether people like it or not, preach it. Ezekiel 33 says, Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turn from, turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by it. God is just. He is merciful. He is full of grace. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. We serve a just God. Verse 7, I'm going to read all the trumpets together and I'll unpack them real quick. We've got a few minutes left. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. Whose blood is it? Probably the blood of the, the, blood of the saints. And these were thrown upon the earth. Again, from heaven to earth. Not from here, it's coming from God. And a third of the, heaven, a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. The symbolism reminds us of, of, of seal number six, the day of the Lord. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and, a, and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, became bitter. It became polluted. 
The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be, might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise, a third of the night. There are four judgments in these four trumpets, dealing with four elements of creation, land, sea, rivers, and heavens. Numbers in Revelations mean things. The number four stands for creation. It's almost as if God is telling us through this passage that the creation he created for us, our own personal Eden, which, were, which Adam and Eve were commanded to go forth and multiply, to replicate Eden across the world, God will use to turn against us. And we know this is a warning because only one-fourth or one-third of everything in this text and one-fourth of the pestilence was affected. If God wanted to bring total judgment, he would bring total judgment. Instead, he uses these realities that we live in to warn the world, to say, look at what's going on around you. Consider your fragility, friends. Because as much as this earth is an amazing place to live, guess what? It's not permanent. It's not permanent. There one day will be a new heaven and a new earth. This is not our home, friends. God has set destiny into our hearts, whether you're a believer or not this morning. You know inherently that there is something bigger than all of this. And God does these things for us to question our own fragility as humanity and say, Lord, what if I've got this wrong? What is next? And he's saying, come back to me. They tell us some critical things. They tell us point blank that God will not allow this world to succeed without him. This world cannot be fixed without God doesn't matter who you are, what president you are, where you come from, how great your green, whatever hands are and all this stuff. It doesn't matter what you do, how you try and do it. Without God, this world will not be fixed. He will not let it be fixed without him. He will share his glory with no man. The God that we serve, you know, one of his names in the Bible, we don't like to talk about this because it offends our sensibilities, is jealous. That's one of his names. We like to talk about God, our healer, God, our provider, but God is jealous. He will not share this world with anything else. No idols of man will ever be able to inhabit the presence of God. Sin dominates this planet, and as long as it does, God will not let it function. And the only way to find peace in the midst of all of this is not to build more wind turbines and you know, clean our water and put more filters on the, on the factories out there. I've got nothing wrong with all of that. I mean, you can do that. Please, let's try and make the world as nice as it is for us to live in. But the only way we fix this is not through government. It's not through people. It's not through any hope that we have in man. It is through Jesus Christ. The second thing that the trumpets show us is that they are going to increase in intensity. These four trumpets, there's a clear, it starts with, you know, God judging the land and it ends with the heavens falling down, literally. I mean, that's pretty severe. Now, I'm not saying you must re read them chronologically or in sequence. That's not what I am saying. But as you read the next trumpets, what you will realize is there's a sense that things are getting worse. And the truth is, things are getting worse in this world, not better. They're not getting better. Because this world is under sin. The last thing this tells us, and these trumpets show us, is that the need to preach the gospel is greater than it has ever been. Because none of us know how much time is left. And if anyone tells you they know, run away. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. Not even Jesus would declare the day and the hour. Only the Father knows. But the need to preach the gospel today is more important than it has ever been, friends. I can tell you we are closer to the end than anybody in all of history. 
I'll tell you the same thing tomorrow and the day after that. I want to tell you a story to close. The band can come up. In Sweden, there's a bridge called the Chorn Bridge. Now, I have no idea how to speak Swedish. I did go to Auntie, my Finn, but he says he doesn't speak Swedish either. So he was no help to me. So I'm going to pronounce these words the way I think they need to be pronounced. There's a bridge in Sweden called the Chorn Bridge. There's a picture of it there. Beautiful bridge. It didn't look like that many years ago. It spans a sound of water called the Eskero Sound between two small islands, the islands of Kalon and the islands of Almen. And what it does is it connects the sixth largest island in Sweden to the mainland of Sweden. In the early morning of January 18, 1980, a cargo ship called the Star Clipper was being piloted through this narrow 54-foot shipping channel. On that fateful night, the weather conditions were less than ideal. It was cold, it was bitter, it was miserable. And while the bridge had some signaling lights, there was no protection at the feeting or the footing of the bridge. Just before 1.30 a.m. on that morning, the overhead gantry of the Star Clipper, so basically where you know, all the radar stuff is, hit that bridge. In the midsection of the entire bridge, a section of about 246 yards, disconnected from the bridge and fell into the water on top of the ship. Now, thankfully, no one on that ship was injured. And thankfully, when this all went down, nobody was driving on that bridge. However, in the time it took for the emergency response team to swing into action, to close the bridge, seven cars and one truck, all who thought they were just following the road home, plunged into the abyss. And every single person died, families included. I think what's worse than that, and that's pretty bad, was the fact that the people on the ship the captain of the ship, the crew of the ship, as well as a truck driver who managed to stop in time, could do nothing to stop the people from driving over the abyss. Now you could think to yourself, what the heck does this have to do with us this morning in church? The point is this, much like the drivers that were going to cross that bridge were faithfully unaware that there was no bridge to cross, much of this world functions in exactly the same way. You see thousands, maybe millions and billions of people, maybe people here even this morning, think that they can just keep following the road home and everything will just work out in the end. Instead, what's waiting for many of them is not a bridge. It's a fall into the abyss of hell. And unlike the crew of that ship and unlike that truck driver who could do nothing to stop them, There are a people called by His name, sealed with His Spirit, who have been called to be warning signals to a world that's headed for hell, to tell them that actually while that bridge is out, there is a bridge that crosses the chasm, and His name is Jesus Christ. He is the only way back to the Father. He is the only one who will never disappoint you. He is the only one that can give you peace. And it is up to us as God's church to take this message to a lost and dying world. If not for us, then who? The world is without hope until the church rises up and starts to do what it was commissioned to do. Go and reach the nations. Preach the gospel. Make disciples. Tell people there is a way. Don't get angry with God because He's bringing judgment. Say, thank you for the warning. I'm taking this warning seriously and I'm going to tell the world. That's up to each of us today to do.
And I want to encourage us today. I know it sounded heavy. But that's why Hope Rock Church exists. Do you want to know what our vision is? Our vision is to tell the world there is a bridge and His name is Jesus Christ. And this bridge will never fail. He will never let you down. You will be there in your darkest days. You'll be there in your happiest days. And every day in between. But make no mistake, friends. The day is coming when it will be too late. Can I ask you to stand? I'm going to pray for us in closing. I'm going to sing one. We're going to sing one last song. And then we're going to invite the children into the meeting. And so if your kids start appearing, don't stress. It wasn't a manifestation. God didn't teleport them to us. We brought them in. Because we want to pray for our kids and any educators in this room who are teaching, whether you're a homeschooling parent or whether you are a teacher in a school or work in a school or involved in education. We want to pray for you at the end. But before we do that, can I ask us just to quieten our hearts just for a second? If anyone here doesn't know Jesus and needs to or wants to or something of this morning has compelled you, it's called the Holy Spirit to want to act. I want to invite you to come and talk to me after the service. I'll be here afterwards. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to talk to you about what it means. You might even have questions. You can even shout at me if you want. But I want to let you know that the invitation this morning to cross the bridge that will never fail is open to anybody in this room. Maybe you're not sure if you've ever actually made that decision to follow that alternative route. Well, this morning, the decision and the opportunity is open to you. Come and talk to us. There will be a prayer team here to pray with you after the meeting and to walk alongside you as, this, as you make this decision. But for all of us that are here this morning who do know Jesus, can I ask us to raise our hands? If you wouldn't mind, I'm going to ask that God would give us the courage we've never had to take these warnings seriously and to preach them to a lost and dying world. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, as your church, the vehicle, Lord, to bring this message to a lost and dying world. And we don't think we're it, Lord. Believe me, we're not it. This is not it. We recognize, Lord, that we are full of faults and failures. We recognize that we're full of flesh at times. This morning, Lord, we repent of our flesh, Lord. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill us anew with courage that you would give us determination, a conviction, Lord, that cannot be explained to take this message of salvation to the world that's lost and where we've allowed our hearts to fall asleep. I pray that the resurrection power of Jesus would be manifest right now as we sing the song and you would release us from all the things that have been holding us back. And I pray this today, not in my name, not in my abilities. I pray this in the mighty and precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one and only way to salvation. We love you, Lord. We praise you today.